Well, I was thinking this morning, this is totally unscripted, so sorry about that, but uh, I was thinking this morning about uh, Jesus' really first public appearance, his first public uh, words that he spoke in it during his ministry. And uh, you can find him in Luke six, he actually, or in Luke four, excuse me. He actually um, starts out quoting from a passage in Isaiah. It's a prophecy that's written about him, and he starts out by saying this. He says, "The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner, freedom for the captive, and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed." And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus stood up in front of a crowd, read those words, then he rolled up the scroll, and he says this, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In, in, in kind of in a very real way, Jesus is saying, this is like my mission statement. This is why I have come. I have come, he said, to, to proclaim good news. I have come, he said, to bring freedom for those who feel bound up. I have come to... To release people from the things that bind them. I was thinking about that thinking, what a cool mission statement. What a cool thing that we as his followers can remember and celebrate. Jesus is all about coming. He came and he lived and he died and he rose again to bring freedom and release and good news to people like you and me. Now, the problem is, I was thinking about it this week, the problem is that so often we don't live in that good news. We don't experience that freedom. We stay stuck in bondage. I was reading this week about a uh, true story. Uh, it's reported in all the newspapers back in 1999. It's about a man by the name of Mirhan Nassari, who uh, actually was kind of a prisoner of sorts in the airport in Paris. I've got pictures of him if you go into the next picture. Like, this guy lived in the airport in Paris for 11 years. There was sort of a mishap. His, his native country, from which was Iran, uh, basically revoked his passport. Uh, he was granted uh, asylum uh, papers from Belgium, but ended up that he lost those papers somehow. And whatever, for whatever reason, he tried to leave. There was a movie made about this with Tom Hanks. You guys remember this? Uh, what's it called? The Terminal. Yeah, The Terminal. He, big, true story. Based off of this guy's life. He tried, he tried to go to England thinking that he could get into England that way, but they refused him because he didn't have his papers in order to send him back to Paris. But again, he couldn't get into France because he didn't have papers either, so he stayed stuck. At that point, in 1988, they, the, the uh, Paris... Um, Police and airport security said, okay, well, you'll have to stay in Terminal 1. And there he stayed for 11 years. Can you imagine living in the hustle and bustle of all kinds of, I mean, airport life? He, was, he lived, literally survived on the generosity of airport employees <coughs> and other travelers that would give him food or kind of help take care of him. He would wash and clean up every day for 11 years in an <coughs> airport bathroom. Can you imagine? 11 years. He was quite literally enslaved there until one day, uh, and I think it's 1998, something like that, maybe 1999, I suppose, uh, when he was, the French authorities finally said he was getting some press and some visibility, he started showing up in all the papers, and so he was given uh, a paperwork that would allow him to come into France. He was given kind of a temporary, uh, not citizenship, whatever the word is. Asylum. Yeah, visa, thank you. Uh, visa so that he could come into the into the country. And so they handed it to him, and he smiled and went back to writing in his journal. And they're like, you, know, you don't understand. You've been set free. You can go. You're free to go. You can leave the airport. The man stayed. For whatever reason, 
He, I don't know if he was freaked out, if he thought they were trying to trick him or for whatever, but he actually stayed there for weeks later until, and the French authorities finally were like, well, we're not going to kick him out. But they started enticing him, so to speak, leaving breadcrumbs, trying to lead him out, you know, uh, kind of help, hoping to entice him to leave, which he finally did. But I thought, what a crazy picture, right? Somebody that has lived in slavery in a very real way in this airport for 11 years is granted freedom. The very thing that he's been waiting and hoping for, yet he wouldn't experience it. He wouldn't step into it. It's not just, this isn't the only time that's happened, right? There's stories, tons of stories after the, towards the end of the Civil War, after the uh, Emancipation Proclamation has gone out. Uh, it's been signed into loss. Former slaves are now set free. There's story after story after story of people continuing to live as slaves for whatever reason. Maybe they were afraid. Maybe they felt like they didn't have anywhere to go. Maybe they had no money. But for whatever reason, they continue to live. And sometimes in pretty horrible conditions, even though they had been free. And it it kind of makes you want to go back and say, you know, come on, you've been set free. A high price has been paid for you so that you can be free. Now go and live in that freedom. Go and experience the life that, that is set before you. It's time for a comeback. I was, as I was thinking about it this week, I was thinking, yeah, we can talk a pretty good game about some of those kind of instances, and yet I'm not so sure that we live all that differently. The Bible makes it pretty clear that uh, a very high price was paid for us too. A, a price was paid so that you and I could, could live in freedom. The price of God's one and only son, in fact. And freedom has been purchased for us in a new life. A comeback is just waiting for you and waiting for me. And so often, we stay stuck in bondage. We stay stuck in slavery. We stay stuck in situations when life and freedom Freedom is available to us when Jesus is saying, I have come to set the captives free. I've come and embrace that. Come and live in this new life. So it's so easy for us and so often that we continue to live in slavery. We're on week number two of a series that we've been doing here tonight called The Comeback. Never too far, it's never too late. And this whole series is about experiencing, really experiencing the freedom and the hope, the turnarounds and the second chances that God has for us. It's about God's ability to take even the worst parts of our lives, the worst experiences of our lives, and bring about his good and perfect and freeing and life-giving plans instead. As we talked about last week, God specializes in orchestrating comebacks in the lives of his people. There is no problem too big. There's no habit too dark. There is no person too far. And it is never too late for God to bust in and redeem and restore and forgive someone and make them new. He does it all the time and he'll do it in you. If you receive it, embrace it, and step out into it. This morning, I want to talk about coming back from what I'm calling captivity, coming back from captivity to live in freedom. Sort of, we're, we're going to be talking about escaping from the ruts and the patterns in our lives that we keep running to again and again and again. Those kinds of things that really enslave us, even though they're familiar. Now, when we talk about slavery or addiction, we talk about living in captivity, it'd be real easy for us to be like, well, that's not me. I'm not an addict. I don't have any of those kinds of, I mean, you know, come on, I'm a Christ father, I believe in the right things. You, know, you must be talking about somebody else. But let me just say, man, the Bible makes it pretty clear that even if we believe the right stuff, even if we uh, maybe 
Don't have something that's overtly an addiction or overtly that we're living enslaved to, that we are, we can be held captive. Nonetheless, 2 Peter 2.19 talks about it this way. It says, for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. In a sort of scripture we'll look at in a little bit, uh, the Bible says anybody who sins is a slave to sin. Anybody here want to claim that we don't sin? All of us, right? of us, in one way or another, live our lives enslaved to sin. And, and meanwhile, Jesus is saying, man, I have come so that you can be free. I'll tell you what, being a pastor, I have the privilege to walk with people and do life with people and hear the stories of people's lives. And it's, it's amazing to, after, man, I don't know, 20 years of ministry or something like that, it's amazing uh, that you can see these kind of patterns and these ruts and these habits and even addictions and different things that plague our lives so often. Uh, and people maybe want to get free and yet live in the reality of these, of, of, of these things day in and day out. Even if they want to be free, sometimes they, they, they just can't stop. Like, let me give you some examples. I, I, I watch people, for instance, sometimes that are enslaved by things like sex or relationships, enslaved by even thinking that, that uh, happiness and joy in life is found in somebody else. And sometimes you can just stand back and you can just see the cycle happening in people's lives where they will go from person to person to person to person looking for for that one thing. And you can see there's a wake of destruction behind them. And there are moments on the in-between, right, in, in the rebound, where they have some clarity and they look back and say, man, I, I don't know what's wrong with me. I, I tend to blow up the best things in my life. And yet, in a week or two or four or eight or whatever later, they find themselves in the same cycle and they are enslaved by this whole kind of idea. Sometimes I think people get enslaved to things like busyness or success or achievement and that kind of thing. And they will just start working their way up the ladder at work or they will just pack their lives jam-packed because they believe that, man, that's, that's what successful and important people do is they're busy all the time. And so we add more and more and more and more and more. And we can start to see the cost of it, the cost of it personally. Sometimes our health starts to fall apart. Sometimes uh, even just our own uh, personal well-being, our emotional state. Suddenly we're not finding joy anymore. Maybe it's destroying or wreaking havoc on our families or on our relationships or on our kids or whatever. And yet we can't stop because we have to keep going for whatever reason. Maybe there are voices from our past that are feeding this kind of stuff in our heads. And we just, we are trapped by it. We're enslaved. Pornography these days is a huge one, right? <laughs> Statistics would say millions and millions and millions, including Dozens and dozens of people probably in this room are in one way or another enslaved by pornography. And, and we might even feel shame and regret. We might want it to be different, and yet there's something about it that pulls us in. And we want to stop, but we are enslaved. I know people that are uh, addicted to or enslaved to shopping, or what uh, somebody called recently retail therapy, right? <laughs> we, we, we feel bad or we feel empty, and we can laugh about it, but like this is a real thing sometimes, right? 
We don't know what to do with those emotions, and so we buy things and buy things and buy things. Surely this will make me happy, right? I'll buy and buy and buy. And the debt gets racked up, and our, this, our houses get smaller and smaller and smaller. And we joke about it, but we are enslaved to those things. And certainly there are some that are more obvious. Drinking, drugs, even if you're not an addict, there are some of us that are enslaved to it. We don't know how to cope with pain in our lives. We don't know what to do when hard things happen. And so we pick up a bottle and we drink or we, we pop some pills and we just, that's how we cope. We don't know what else to do. And so even though we can get glimpses of ways that this is destroying us, we just can't seem to get free. I'm sharing these things not to bring shame or guilt. I think you'll see as we go, man, Christ wants us to be free. I want us to be a people that live and experience the freedom that Christ came, came to give us and don't stay stuck in the airport. Don't, don't, don't stay stuck, enslaved in one way or another. But there's this kind of hopelessness that can sometimes go with this kind of bondage. And I think Paul nails it. Uh, this is actually uh, from, uh, it's a paraphrase of, of the Bible. It's called The Message, but I love the way it, it speaks in it. So I just to, as we read through this, I just want you to hear, oh, did it lock up? Yeah. Oh, we're down. not ready for that yet. <laughs> um, but, uh, oh, thank you. But I want you just to hear this for a second because this is this is great. I think Paul nails it. I just want you to, to, to listen and say, man, have I ever felt this way before? He says this. I know that all of God's commands are spiritual, he says, but I am not. Isn't this also your experience? He said, yeah, I'm, I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's commands are necessary. But I need something more. For if I know that the law, if I know the law, but I still can't keep it, and if the if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but that I do anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in action. Something has drawn gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? You ever felt that way before? Ever felt like you're at the end of your rope? Like there's some sort of a habit or a hurt or a hang-up. That there's a cycle going on in your life. And try as you might, you just can't get free. The very thing that you are trying to beat ends up beating you, so to speak. Ever experienced that? Ever try to beat a habit that's wreaking havoc on you or your family and just couldn't do it? If not, I have to say, I wonder if you're really being honest with yourself. Like, for instance, is anger an issue with you guys? Ever said things or done, you know, yelled or 
something that, that did tremendous damage to those you love? And if so, why, do you have, why haven't you quit it? Have you ever, I mean, has lust ever been a thing for you? If, do you know it's bad? If so, why don't you stop? Right? I mean, that's, that's the cycle that Paul's talking about here. He's, like, he's saying, man, I want to be free of this, and yet there's something that sort of keeps me enslaved, something that keeps me running through that process, something that, that draws me back in. And he kind of ends this whole passage with this cry, right? With this cry, like, is there nobody who can do anything for me? Is there nobody that can set me free? God, what am I supposed to do? How can I live my life free from this junk? And then he answers the question in the next four verses. Romans 8, 1 through 4. The NIV says, there is therefore now no condemnation. This is the CEV. He says, if you belong to Christ Jesus... You won't be punished. There's no condemnation. There's freedom. There's life. There's forgiveness. He says the Holy Spirit will give you life that comes from Christ Jesus, and he will set you free from sin and death. The law of Moses cannot do this because our selfish desires make the law weak. But God has set you free when he sent his son to be like us sinners and to be a sacrifice for our sin. God uses Christ's body to condemn sin. He did this. So that we would uh, do what the law commands by obeying the Spirit and living in the Spirit instead of our own desires. Well, I, I don't know if you hear it or not, but there's hope that's found in this passage. And the hope is this, that if you and I, if we have opened up our hearts and lives to Christ, if we have put our faith and trust in Him, that the Holy Spirit will give you new life through Christ Jesus. He will bring a comeback to you. And He will set you free from sin and death and all the junk that plagues us. It's the first step I want to talk about. I'm going to talk about this sort of path to walk out of captivity and into freedom. And that, that takes us to the first one. And I'm going to call it to be reborn, right? I'm, I'm going with our words today, so stick with me. But this comes from a, a teaching with, uh, with Jesus, right? It's John chapter 3. A teacher by the name of Nicodemus comes up to Jesus and is interacting with him. And, and Jesus ends up making this statement. He says, you know what? If you want to come and live life with me in my kingdom, if you discover the life that you're born for, you must be born again. And Nicodemus, at this point, he's a teacher. He scratches his head. He's like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm supposed to be born again, like from my mother? Like, are you out of your mind? And Jesus goes on and says, no, no, no. And, and he gets to this uh, famous, one of the, probably the most famous passage of uh, the Bible, John 3, 16, where he ends up making this comment. And he says, no, 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 let me explain what rebirth and what reborn is talking about. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes, whoever puts their faith in Christ will not perish but have life forever. Will experience life and freedom and hope and on and on forever. Life, rebirth comes from opening up and putting our trust in Jesus that's what it's about. That's what it's talking about. Now, I don't want to be overly simplistic here, right, and communicate to you that all you need to do is, you know, you, in order to be free from addictions, in order to be free from junk and every, you know, every sin you've ever had is, you know, you believe in Jesus and all that stuff drops off you and it's over because that's not exactly the reality, is it? A, a, a quick survey, a quick snapshot of the American church would prove that today. Some of us have been living in patterns and ruts, sometimes uh, in a literal addiction for decades. And there's a process, there's the journey that God uses to walk us into that life of freedom. It's a day-by-day -day thing. Now, but it starts <coughs> with being reborn. It starts with putting our hope 
in our trust in Jesus. I don't want to be overly simplistic and say, you know, that's, that's all you have to do because it's not. But certainly it is the first and foundational step. Without this step, without, without Christ in our lives, I have to say there's not a ton of hope. Because he is the only one that can bring freedom and new life. He came, he said, right, to bring freedom for the captives. His life was about living and dying, paying the price for our sins on the cross so that we could be free. I've got a, uh, a video here that we're going to flip to now. That just is, it's such a graphic picture of this truth. I want you to watch it and just sort of feel it about the, the hope and the new life uh, that comes as we put our faith and trust in Christ. Go ahead, Kyle, you're up.
before, the first week we were in the Civic Center like three years ago. But amazing, that's the truth that we find ourselves in, right? On our own, did you see the way she was like trapped and just consumed by the, the, the sins, the junk, the whatever? Christ comes in, takes the sin and the junk on him and then throws them off. He came to bring freedom. Listen to this, John 8, 34 through 36. This is Jesus talking, he says this. Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Friends, the first step as we walk from captivity to freedom is to open our hearts and lives to Christ. He has already paid the price for those sins. He has already paid the price so that we can be freed. The cords can be cut from the past, and you can live a new life. You would experience a comeback. It begins here. Don't try to just take them all on yourself. It can't be done. From a long-term perspective, lasting change, lasting freedom comes only as we get reborn, as we come to Jesus. The second thing, moving on from that, is uh, the second step is relational accountability. Get hooked up with some other Christ followers uh, that can keep you accountable, can help you walk out, walk the path towards freedom and towards Christ, towards all that he has for you. I was thinking about James uh, this week. James, the brother of Jesus, James 5, puts it this way. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That's true. There's something, it's a, it's a communal, community sort of verse. It's why we need each other. Now, here's what happens. When we start getting stuck and sucked down by sin and junk and all that stuff, you know what our tendency is? Our tendency is to withdraw. We don't want anybody else to know about our junk. We think, well, I'll just go and go over here and I'll just, I'll beat it on my own. I'll just withdraw. I'll just... Freedom does not come that way. Literally, the path to freedom, and we see this over and over and over. It's part of the reason God gave us the church, right? Part of the reason is we need each other. We need the body. We need other believers and friends around us that, can, that we can confess into, that we can bring it out of the dark and into the light and say, you know what? I blew it with my family this week, or anger is getting the better of me, or I'm looking at stuff on the internet that I should not be, or that I can't stop myself from gossiping, or whatever. Right? We, need, we need friends that we can confess that kind of stuff to say, man, can you help keep me accountable? Can you help me walk? In? I don't want my life to, get, to be dogged by this stuff. I don't want to be enslaved to it any longer. Can you pray for me? Can you pray with me? Can you walk with me? as I, I'm striving to walk out of this and into freedom. I've told you the story before. When I was uh, first a believer, one of the things, uh, the, the, the issues for me that kind of just I, had quite a grip on me, I'll just put it that was my language. I swore like a sailor and uh, had, had done that pretty much my whole life. I come to Christ in college, and I can remember... I didn't even know I was doing it. It was one of those things I couldn't walk out of myself. And so I invited my roommate to help keep me accountable. He had just become a, a Christ follower too. And so we, we made a pact. We said, hey, here's the deal. I don't even know I'm doing this. So anytime, anytime I swear, I want you to hit me as hard as you can. Guy, the guy was an all-state wrestler. <laughs> he, his, his guns were huge. I can remember it took me about two days to be free from that sin, right? <laughs> I was like, oh, my work, that kind of thing. But I, I'll tell you what, account, 
relational accountability brings freedom. When, I mean, there's something to this. What James is saying, man, you need to confess your sins to somebody else and then pray for each other. Have some accountability with each other. Ask for the living God to come and intercede and then walk with that person out of slavery, out of bondage, out of captivity into freedom. As long as we keep our stuff hidden and in the dark, we will stay enslaved when we bring it out into the light, into loving community, right? With, with other Christ followers, we confess our sins, we pray, and, and we pray for the living God to come and forgive us and set us free. Something powerful happens. And we start walking the path out of captivity and into freedom. I should keep going. Next one. Uh, oh, there's a, oh, I had a proverb. I don't know if that you can throw that one out. Proverbs 28 says, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. They stay stuck in it. They, 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 it just doesn't go well for them. But those are the ones who confesses and renounce sin finds mercy. And this is true, friends. It's true. Third thing. So uh, be reborn, right? Relational accountability. And the third one is, is be ready. Proverbs 4, 26 and 27 says, watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot away from evil, right? It's talking about directional kind of things, the way we plan, the way we prepare, the way we live our lives. So often I, I see people that have no real intention or plan or path or way to avoid sin. They're not watching the path of their feet, nor are they turning from evil or from sin, nor are they willing to pay the price to be free. And this one I, I think is fairly common sense kind of things. But if I struggle with uh, alcohol kind of things, there, there's some pretty simple solutions. Now, I'm not talking about the, the full addiction kind of thing, but I'm just saying there's some pretty there's some boundaries that could really be helpful. Like, for instance, I should probably not be around the bar, right? If that's, if that's a struggle for me, I probably shouldn't be at parties. If that's a temptation for me, these are, this is just talking about putting some boundaries around things. Some of those kinds of things. If we want to be free, if we want to experience a comeback, then we've got to plan our lives accordingly. And it sounds strange, but you have to give up some rights that will really help you to be free. Let me give you an example. Uh, for me, I've done this for about the last, I don't know, 10 or 12 years. I spend dozens of hours a week behind a computer, a computer screen. Uh, not so much these days, uh, but it used to be oftentimes I would be up late into the wee hours of the morning sometimes working on my computer at the office or whatever. Nobody else is around, that kind of thing. And I have to say, with the, with the amount of pornography, the amount of stuff that's on the internet today, even if you're not looking for it, it's looking for you, right? That kind of stuff. And, and I, it's a temptation for me. And so I was just like, you know, I've got to do something. And so I set up some accountability software. Somebody told me about this. Uh, we've got something I've had, like I said, I've used it for years. It's called Covenant Eyes. It tracks everywhere I go on the internet. And I freely and willingly have have. You know, put that on my computers and stuff. It tracks everywhere I go on the internet. If I go anywhere, even slightly suspect, it will flag it and send it to my accountability partners. Now, my accountability partners I picked are people that are diligent, that I knew that if they got an email and there was something flagged, they'd, they'd look enough to see it and they would call me. And they're also people that I would hate to disappoint. Some of the people that I'm like, some pastor friends of mine and stuff that I'm like, I would, <laughs> these are the last people that I would want to, to, to know, I mean, if I screwed up. I'll tell you what, you know what, you know what happened? I, I've given up some rights 
uh, and, and saying, like, I'm just going to put all that out in public. I'm going to bring it into the light. There's nothing private that I do on the computer. I can't go places. You can't uninstall it without calling them and getting a code, having them get a code for you. I mean, like, it's, so it, it tracks everywhere I go on the Internet. And I'll tell you what, I've given up some rights in doing that, but I'll tell you what's happened. It has been so freeing. It's taken away temptation in that, in that area. It's brought accountability, and it's brought it out to light, and it's lost its power. It's been fantastic. Now, I've had some friends over the years. We've got, we've, over the years, we've had maybe a dozen different guys from our church kind of get on board and do accountability with me and, and say, hey, I'd like to do this. And so if that's something that you struggle with and would like to, to know more about, I'd love to get you hooked up with this. But I've had some people over the years that have really struggled with, with an addiction to this kind of stuff that I've told about it, and they haven't been willing to pay the price. They're like, well, I don't want, I don't want you knowing every. I mean, I don't want you knowing where I've been. It's it's sort of like that old adage, like, if you fail to plan, then you plan to fail, right? And would it surprise you to know that those people are still living in captivity? There's a path here, right? A, a path that we can walk out of. It starts with being reborn, with opening up our hearts and lives. He's taken on our sin. He has thrown it off when he rose from the dead. And now we can discover freedom and new life. We can experience a comeback by putting our faith and trust with him. But it also goes on, right, to relational accountability and towards being ready, being prepared, putting some boundaries and some things around us that will keep us free. Uh, got some great stuff, but I think I'll go on. Fourth one. Um, and I just call this redirect your focus. One of the spiritual disciplines that I've used a bunch over the years uh, that's been really cool for me, really helpful, is this whole discipline of fasting. Um, it's, it's been something that I've done, oh, I don't know, ever since I was a believer. And uh, I've done it off and on uh, over the last 20 years or whatever. And, uh, and sometimes I fast from food. Sometimes... Um, Sometimes from the internet, sometimes from talking. There's, I've done retreats where literally it's been like a retreat of silence kind of thing where uh, I just shut up and listened to God for a while and, uh, and saw him. And I've gone through these, these, this is kind of a practice so that I can really pray and really hear from God and really seek his will on a decision or whatever. It's been, been powerful in my life. But one of the things I learned pretty early on is it's, Fasting is not really, I mean, it's only partially about what you take away. It's, it's only partially, like, for instance, if, I'm, if I do a, a food fast, it's only a little bit about not eating. If it's only about not eating, I'll tell you what, I will fail. <laughs> because here's what will happen. About noon or 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I'll start thinking about it, right? I'll start thinking, I'm pretty hungry, right? I'm, I'm really hungry. And you kind of get a little later in the day, you're like, man, my stomach's growling, I'm just low energy. I'm like, oh, come on. Like, I need food, right? Give me food. If, if it goes on to another day, by the second day, I'm really feeling like if it, I, I stay focused on food, the likelihood of my success of this fast goes down and down and down and down. I think fasting is more about what you replace it with, right? You take away food and you replace it with increased prayer time. You replace it with increased time in the word. It's more about what you put back in, even than it is what you take out. And I'll tell you what, that's when, it's sort of just the whole thing. When Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every, every word that comes from the mouth of God, from the word of God. It's like that. It's like saying, man, I'm going to feast on you, God. You are the priority. You are the main thing in my life. It's a way that we are sort of starving 
our flesh or our sin nature a little bit and feasting instead on God and saying, God, I want to drink in from you. Well, when we deal with habitual sin, it's the same kind of deal. Once we give ourselves to God and we get accountability in some of the areas that we're struggling with and we have a plan and we're protected, have some boundaries and that kind of stuff, it's really about, it's important that we redirect our focus and the Bible gives us some real practical ways to do it. You know, obviously prayer is one that we've already hit. We talked about it a little bit in the last one. But the other one is, is the importance of the word James. Again, I mean, he's a straight shooter. I like him a lot. James 1, uh, 25. He's talking about this whole tendency that we have to, uh, to, to know what God's word says but not do it. And he goes on and says, man, it's like we're, it's like we're looking in a mirror and we see that something's messed up, but we don't do anything about it. And he ends with this kind of phrase. He says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives, what's that word? Freedom. But the one who looks intently, over and over, carefully, looks into the perfect law, to God's word, right? That brings freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. They will be blessed in what they do. And sometimes I think, man, it's good for us to talk about, you know, stepping back from anger, from confessing it, or pornography, or alcohol, or drugs, or eating things, or whatever. And we can kind of, it's good to talk about that. It's good to confess it. It's good to get some accountability around it. It's good to get some protection, some boundaries around it. But then we have to come back to, man, but we've got we've to feast on God if we want to walk the path to freedom. And we need to spend time meditating on and drinking and reading and doing what God's good book, right, says. Yeah, put these things into practice in our lives. It's the path. It's the path that leads us out of captivity and into freedom. It's the path that God, by which Jesus says, you know what? I want you to live free. Galatians 5.1 reminds us it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's the point. Stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Friends, Christ has done everything needed to bring freedom to your life and to mine. And he does it. He starts out. It, it starts out by being reborn. It starts out the moment we open up our hearts and lives and we put our faith in him and say, Jesus, I need you to come and forgive me and cleanse me and lead me and have it comes with, then the next step is we start to walk this out and live this out in the real world. It gives us some relational accountability. It comes with being ready, putting some boundaries in place, preparing, right, planning the win. And then it comes with we redirect our focus back onto him and learn to live in freedom in a new life that he has in store for us. Let's close in prayer. God, that's our desire this morning. We cry out, you are the one we need. <coughs> Father, would you forgive us for so often living our lives enslaved by one thing or another. And today, God, we just want to confess that to you and just say, hey, we just want to cry out, I need you. Would you come and save me? Would you come and rescue me? Would you come and set us free? Set me free. Set all of us free. God, we need you, Jesus. Thank you for coming and dying on the cross for our sins, for my sin, so that we can be free. Now teach us, God, to walk in this new life. Teach us to walk the path of freedom.
pray, God, that we would be a church and a people that are quick to confess sins, quick to pray for each other, quick to, to bring stuff out into the light. I pray that we would be a people that take purity seriously, that take uh, godliness seriously. And so we plan our lives and we're willing to pay the price even give up some little liberties or whatever so that we can walk in a life that's pleasing to you and that leads to ultimate freedom. And God, I pray that as well that we would be a people who hunger and thirst for you. People that are quick to our knees, people that are quick to follow where you lead, people that are hungry for your word. God, would you, would you walk us on this path, draw us closer to you, and as we, as we follow God, would you, uh, would you set us free? We need you. We love you. We just offer ourselves to you again this morning.